First, I am blessed. My team is blessed. No one was physically injured today. This morning, I was gathered for a brief meeting. Thank you, with everybody, my team for joining the America on his podcast. A man on walked Mass into Nation our office. Radio. Check it out on Spotify. Him, he pulled out a gun. Also, aimed directly check at out me Cosmic Radio and began shooting on YouTube, my backup channel. The individual closest to the door managed to bravely get the door shut. Sorry for we the technical difficulties. The and the suspect fled. Let me say again that all of us are blessed, and I'm blessed to be standing here today with you. Despite one bullet coming so close that it grazed my sweater and my shirt, no one was physically harmed, and we're extraordinarily grateful for our safety. We are shaken, but safe. I'd like to especially thank the swift response of the Louisville Metro Police Department, the ATF, and all the law enforcement officers who secured the scene within minutes and are working this case. I'm so proud and grateful for these brave men and women who work hard every day to keep all of us in Louisville safe. I want to thank everyone in the Louisville community and beyond who has reached out to my team and I today for your outpouring of support. At this time, we need to allow law enforcement to do their work, and so I'll not be commenting further about the situation or speculating on the shooter's motivations while police complete their ongoing investigation. Today is not a day for politics, but it's not lost on me that the violence my staff and I experienced today is far too common in our city. Too many Louisville families have experienced the trauma of gun violence. So with that, I would like to introduce you to my show tonight. That is Craig Greenberg, the survivor of an assassination attempt by Quintez Brown, who was a well-noted and well-regarded, almost kind of like famed on the way to stardom out there in Louisville for the Courier Journal, the University of Louisville. And apparently things took a turn for the worst for, I'm sorry, at least four shots were unloaded in that hallway. Um, Some aides had to barricade the door, bullets grazed him, and it just seems like that there's some kind of radicalization going on in our universities today. We got to question the motives of the Courier Journal here tonight as well. They put out two articles today, one in favor of Quintez Brown and one kind of against arguing completely different points. But it seems like there's something really strange going on in academia. Also, we have to check out Matthew Harris, who was a graduate assistant at the UC, at the University of California, Los Angeles. God, I can't talk right now. Those glitches threw me off a little bit. But he posted a series of bizarre videos, almost 200 on one day before he was finally apprehended out there in Colorado. He was on the run. He caused the campus to be shut down completely out there. We want to take a look at his words. Very much uh, misogynistic, anti-white people, anti-Semitic. And we just got to ask ourselves, um, who exactly are the universities employing right now? Um, What are certain organizations like BLM's motivations in posting bail for Quintez Brown as GoFundMe's get shut down for certain uh, individuals at Minnesota protests, as well as certain uh, trucker convoys in Canada having their funds being withheld and sent to other places. And then you're seeing people being bailed out left and right and these really bizarre politically motivated um, community funds as they're being called now. Um, There's lots to talk about tonight. We're going to go ahead and take a look at this article right here. Let's check it out. This is the article I was trying to read before everything glitched on me the first time and threw me for a loop tonight. Ricky Jones, what happened to the brilliant Quintez Brown? So Ricky Jones... It was one of his professors at the University of Louisville. 
He's a pan-Africanist, which means that he believes that people should exile the countries they're in and go back to Africa and create like a United, United African Kingdom, right? Which sounds a lot like white nationalism or white separatism to me, but just like a different like flavor or lens put on it. But this is the kind of division they're talking about. They're openly advocating for this in universities. Um, I was fortunate to have a really awesome African studies professor from Ghana who just did not like a lot of this woke stuff and would rail against it and would openly lay out the faults with all this. And um, yeah, just very interesting to see things going on in the universities right now. And although Quintez Brown was not an intellectual per se, he was on the way to becoming that. He was running for mayor in this same election that he shot at his opponent. Let's just go ahead and see the lens Ricky Jones puts on it. Quintez Brown is accused of trying to kill Craig Greenberg. Let that sink in. One of the most bizarre experiences of my life. I received news from a few friends in media before it went public that Quintez Brown allegedly shot at Craig Greenberg. I had to process that. What? Quintez shot at Craig? Yes. Quintez allegedly shot at Craig. Apparently, allegedly, Quintez Brown went into Craig Greenberg's mayoral campaign office, shot directly at him multiple times, and thankfully missed. It was all so unthinkable. You're reading one perspective on this issue. So here we just got to take a quick aside and just ask ourselves, like, would we be afforded that same opportunity right now if we we're of a different like race or different persuasion right now? I think if I was a Hispanic man and I shot at a city councilor out here in New Mexico, I think there'd be no sympathy for me. I don't think there'd be any Brown Lives Matter movement and there's no bell fund coming to my rescue. I think this is incredibly bizarre that BLM rushes to fund them out. And in case you don't know about Quintez Brown, this is where I get a little bit conspiratorial, right? Because the whole, the old adage of um, the sleeper agent, the glowies, right? The sleeper cells is that they, uh, you know, you go missing for two to three weeks, you go get brainwashed by, um, you go get brainwashed by the CIA, CIA and MKUltra and then you become an activated agent, right? Then you go back and then you start doing your mission, right? Like a Manchurian candidate. This is what I'm kind of thinking happened with him. He went missing for a while. We're going to talk about Ted Kaczynski later on, but we're going to see a lot of different, um, a lot of very weird connections and bizarre takes, I think. He was in the Obama Foundation, that's right. And BLM is definitely a dishonest organization. They totally co-opted the language, I think. Let's go ahead and go back to this article right here. By the evening of the incident, local and national news outlets began reporting there was an assassination attempt on a Louisville mayoral candidate. Quintez was painted as an activist who was very involved in Louisville's Breonna Taylor protests, which, by the way, I mentioned, you know, my stream first failed, that there are some questions to be said about how they handle the Breonna Taylor uh, thing, you know, as a second amendment person, I didn't like how that went down, but that's a different discussion. Some mentioned that he had turned to the Louisville Courier Journal. Others didn't. Initially, almost none, save the Courier Journal itself, noted that he was a student at the University of Louisville. Many now will see Quintez as little more than a pariah, tainted by venom and his study of nationalism and pan-Africanism. Oh, we know about Sean King, his fake ass. He's already being characterized that way, and everyone from local media to the NRA are piling on. They will freeze him in time as nothing more than a vicious criminal, a potential killer, undeserving of any love or consideration. Sorry for your podcast listeners. Sometimes they're responding to the YouTube chats that I'm you know, not commenting. They will not talk about the fact that Quintez is among the minority of young black boys who make it to college. They will not talk about the fact that he wasn't just a student. He was gifted beyond description. By the way, this is a, these are all descriptors of the Unabomber. <laughs> That's what they all said about the Unabomber. They never sat with him. They never spoke with him. They never saw him smile or troubled by the suffering of others. I did. I met young Quintez Brown when he was in high school. He was a star. He didn't strike me as a kid who year to attend an Ivy League school. He was too good and conscious for that. I pictured him going off to an elite HBCU like Morehouse or Howard. 
I was surprised when he stayed at home and attended the University of Louisville. He said he felt called to remain at home. Help is needed here, Doc. We can't all leave, he smiled. He was so incredibly committed to his hometown. And then something terrible happened to him. I don't know what. I wish I did. All I know is we lost him. There's more and more talk about mental health these days. Quintez is a stark example of what we can lose as psychological breaks. We have temporarily lost that great mind, that potential, that love, joy, and commitment. We lost it all. Hopefully not forever. So let's just uh, go ahead and go to, let me see, what's the next? This is why I'm not trusting the media on this either, right? This is the same paper. The Courier-Journal posted that article today. They also posted this article like a little bit on the center right, if you would call it that, but they're trying to sow some dissent. Let's just go ahead and read through this a little bit and just hear the completely opposite tone. The attempted murder of Mayor Hopeful Craig Greenberg is a reckoning moment for Louisville. Louisville, Kentucky has become one of the most violent cities in America. So violent, in fact, that one of its most vocal gun control activists, a Black Lives Matter protester who had been promoted by the local progressive establishment for years, attempted to murder a Democratic candidate for mayor on Valentine's Day. Quintez Brown, age 21, allegedly opened fire at close range on candidate Craig Greenberg at his campaign office. A bullet tore through Greenberg's clothing as his staff scrambled to barricade the door. It was a miracle no one was killed. Brown was charged with attempted murder and wanton endangerment. The shooting is but the latest instance of political violence in America, where activists take their grievances to unacceptable extremes. And it's another case where we all need to be honest about what happened. For such a young person, Brown had lived a very public life. He wrote for his college paper in the Courier Journal. He appeared on MSNBC. He met several progressive luminaries like Barack Obama, Al Sharpton, and Kentucky Senate candidate Charles Booker. He was showered with attention and, somewhere along the way, taught to deeply mistrust Republicans, white people, and institutions, and that he would be rewarded with more attention if he eloquently expressed those views. Where I come from, it's like a war zone, Brown told MSNBC's Joy Reid in 2018 when talking about the kind of gun violence that he would later participate in. Kentucky's concealed carry laws shows your life doesn't matter to gun-loving Republicans, blared a headline on a 2019 piece carried on these pages. Another headline read, quit asking whether white men are racist and instead just hold them accountable. In 2020, Brown again found himself in the spotlight when Black Lives Matter protests and unrest paralyzed downtown Louisville for months. Brown was right in the middle of it, one of the most visible and media-friendly activists. In 2021, Brown disappeared for two weeks, prompting a media manhunt as the local reporters who promoted him constantly tweeted and wrote about his disappearance. Rumors circulated that he had been killed by police. He was eventually located on a park bench in New York City. Brown reemerged in 2022, running for local office and apparently drifting toward even more radical politics than before. The Daily Beast reported that Brown had been meeting recently with a black nationalist organization the long history of anti-Semitic views. Anti-Semitic means anti-Jewish people. Was this the motive for his shooting? By the way, there is a long history of anti-Semitism in the Black Lives Matter movement. Like, they deny it right now, but I wonder if people are really going to take a serious look at this because there's some serious, weird allegations about this. I know I'm a conspiracy theorist, and I know I think certain elites kind of control the things are but this is kind of a bit too far i don't i don't even you know get on board with this kind of thing that some blm founding members believe in and people really need to like take a second look at blm's foundation its membership of people that donate to it it's more than just a catchphrase it's not just black lives matter they're funding criminals to be let out of jail and increasing the crime rates at an exponential level. Some argue that George Soros is behind this a little bit. And there are, there is a lot of evidence of George Soros prosecutors um, being at the forefront of this movement. We don't know for sure what led Brown to allegedly shoot at Greenberg, a prominent figure in Louisville's Jewish community, but it's fair to ask whether this is a hate crime. 
Is it any wonder that Brown's story ended this way? He was present during the civil unrest of 2020 that was frequently labeled peaceful, even though we could all see the smashed and boarded up windows, the looted businesses, and the street fires. Two cops were shot. What did he learn there? That violence be excused by many, as long as a mob's cause is judged to be right and moral. And now we're going to get to my next video. I love this uh, podcaster, this conservative commentator named Jesse Lee Peterson. And there's a edited video out, like a cut today, where they talk about this. It's like not all in one take. It's edited together for my podcast listeners. But it's pretty good. He sums this up better than I can. And when that happens, I kind of let the people talk for me, you know. So let's just hear what he has to say. He's uh, He's very inspirational to me. I was in reflecting, I, I remember over the last year or so, maybe, give or take, I've been hearing stories about how over Europe, they have allowed all these Allah U'Abba people to come in, people from Africa, all kind of folks have entered into some of the countries over there. And as a result of that, the rape and murder rate has gone He's really the over the top. He's really funny sometimes. But not only, toward white women in those countries. It's because they have allowed all these illegal aliens, those illegal aliens to enter their country. And those people have different, they have a different culture. A woman in Australia, I mean, a woman in Austria, not Australia, Austria, is being charged for bodily harm after she stabbed her attacker, despite the man who is a Syrian migrant being accused by the police for trying to rape her. Isn't that amazing? It's happening in America, too. And the Democrats are happy about it. The radicals are happy about it. They will not shut the door to the borders, even though they know that if you, they know nothing about them, right? All kind of people coming in. And they see the crime, that how the crime is going up. They don't care. Well, I saw this on the local news here in Los Angeles, where a group of, I mean, not a group, but uh, they showed this video of a guy where this young white girl was walking down the sidewalk there in Beverly Hills. And some guy just went over to her and took her around the neck, kind of hut like he was hugging her, and, and tried to take her to someone else's garage. One of the houses, where, where the garage door was open, and he took her in there and tried to rape her. Luckily, she was able to fight her way out of that situation. And the guy that tried to do this to her just walked away and... It was reported that he walked down the road. Don't forget to like, comment, share, subscribe. The LAPD is hoping that this surveillance video will lead them to the homeless man who's been accused in two assaults. The first was on Melrose yesterday afternoon right near North Vista Street and Waring Avenue. The man was seen with his arm around a woman's neck here, leading her into a garage, but she was able to get away. Then 20 minutes later, up in West Hollywood, near Hampton and West Curson Avenues, police say that the man pushed a woman into her apartment. She screamed. And then the man ran off. And even Beverly Hills is under attack now. And the people are running scared. I was just so scared. And they're afraid because <laughs> defunding the police, letting the inmates out of prison without bails, out of jail, no bails bonds and things like that. And putting blacks in position of power in the government where they can change the laws to go after white people. White people support it. Black Lives Matter while they were committing an insurrection upon America. They gave them buku money, they kissed their feet, they washed their feet. Things have That's only right. gotten worse. They've not gotten better. And and everyone see what's happening, but because of fear, they would not speak up about it. They don't want to be called racist. South Africa is in the full force here in America now, and it's getting worse. So if you don't think what's happening in Canada can happen here, with dictators running America. It's already happening, in all honesty. They just haven't called themselves dictators yet. Another thing that blows my mind, didn't I blow your mind this time? Didn't I? When Black Lives Matter first started their attack upon America, they were paying Black Lives Matter to defund the cops, to destroy businesses in this country. They, they raised buku money from that. 
and the wife was too happy. They were more than happy to pay them to do it. Have you ever seen or heard of anything like that? And the money that they gave Black Lives Matter is being used against them. A radical organization. This is from WLKY. Suspect accused of trying to kill Louisville mayor candidate out of jail after Black Lives Matter group post bail. I mean, post bond. Watch this. Just after 8 o'clock Tuesday night, Quintez Brown walked out of the Hall of Justice surrounded by media and his family. No comment. Let's go, let's go, let's go, let's go. With the hoodie over his head and face covered with a mask, he remained quiet as some around him shouted no comment when reporters asked questions. On Monday, Brown is accused of walking into the campaign headquarters of Louisville mayoral candidate Craig Greenberg, firing off several shots, including one that grazed the candidate's shirt. What we become so enthralled in is knowing that there's a system that's willing to punish Louisville people, Community Bell Fund um, is BLM funded. Officially um, charged with their crimes. Brown's $100,000 bond was paid in cash by the Louisville Community Bail Fund. Chanel Helm says despite the high-profile nature of those involved in this crime, even Quintez Brown deserves the chance to utilize the due process. His of the Twitter is still system. active. I We're DM'd him. In jail. We're talking I about a system this that has people sit in jail for years without seeing hearings and I trials um, and play back and forth with their mental health, their well-being, and their community. Helm says there was an outcry to get Quintez Brown out of the jail due to mental health concerns. Just last year, the 21-year-old activist and UofL student went missing for two weeks before being found in New York City. Like, His release Tuesday was met that? with disdain by leaders in the city, including Metro Council Such President David story. James, who was on his way to a meeting at Greenberg's office the morning of the shooting. James says it's unfortunate Mr. Brown has been bailed out of jail due to his propensity to violence. I think it's irresponsible, and I hope those who contributed to posting this bond are prepared to be held accountable if Mr. Brown injures someone while out. And those are the type of people that is now getting into your government. What do you expect to happen? You think going to bring the races closer together? What do you think going to happen with this? And white people, you fund it, Black Lives Matter. If you want to know what can happen to you, look at the black men. The average black man MK is Ultra for show, Mars bars. The black women are out of control. And they're getting in government now, in the schools. You are giving up Wait your country, white people. To number two. And if you doubt the outcome, call somebody over in South Africa and see what the outcome looked like. Ask them, they'll tell you. All behind one word, racism. That doesn't even exist. It's a made-up word. I love this part. A made-up word. Listen. That's what's so crazy. It's not even real. It's a lie. Well, I guess they say if you something like if you tell a lie long enough or tell a big lie, the folks will fall for it. They start believing or something like that. This is proof of that. No such thing as racism, sexism, homophobiaism, Islamophobiaism, dead be dadism, Allah u Abbaism, <laughs> white supremacism or anti-Semitism is evil versus good. And you believe that racism exists and look what's happening. Uh-uh, uh-uh, uh Amazing. And don't... You gotta love Jesse Peterson, man. Sometimes he just cuts through the bullshit. We're all in this, like, cosmic mess trying to come up with all these labels and you're trying to break things up into categories, which is exactly what the race Marxists want. It's exactly the whole doctrine. It's, it's exactly the whole reason why they exist. Is because we just keep dividing and coming up with fucking names for this or that that's it's just a lot of bullshit right like we all know deep down like we all know deep down it's bullshit but we're really afraid to call it out sometimes i don't know um so the next guy we got to talk about man this is some fucking weird shit okay we're going to take a quick look at this article. We're not going to read the article. I got videos to show you, and I got um, a manifesto to uh, read to you guys. I found the manifesto. They scrubbed it from archive.org, but I found an obscure site where I was able to download the PDF and email it to myself when I was at work. 
So we could read some of his actual real words in addition to this very hilarious video I'm going to show you guys. But I just want to introduce you guys really quick with this news article. Once again, give me that like, comment, that share, subscribe on Massformation Gnosis Radio on Cosmic Radio. And if you're listening, if you're listening on the America Unhinged podcast on Spotify, give me a five-star review. Let's get those reviews going. Hugh is Matthew Harris, former UCLA's lecturer's shooting threat investigated by police. Matthew Harris, a former postdoctoral fellow and lecturer at the University of California, Los Angeles, was identified as a person who sent threats to faculty, including a video that references a mass shooting. <laughs> KB says, manifesto. Oh, they were serious, serious. Damn right, they're, they were serious enough to shut down the school. UCLA canceled in-person classes Tuesday, according to a tweet from the university, and this was a couple weeks ago. We do not have specific information that this individual is in California, the tweet said. Nonetheless, out of an abundance of caution, all classes will be held remotely tomorrow, February 1st. So that leads me to my next video. We're going to watch this video first. I don't know if you guys know who Nerd Roddick is or D-Day Cobra or Rikita Law. But they joined forces on this podcast called Friday Night Tights. Friday Night Tights is basically like a uh, – it's a social media meets pop culture meets like really nerdy comic stuff podcast where they just get like a super group of people together and talk about things. But on this episode, Rikita Law red pills them all on this unbreaded Matthew Harris uh catastrophe and it's so funny because he's reading the quotes and everybody's just reacting to it and it, it it's a good show you guys should check out nerd Roddick, check out d-day cobra and rikita law let's go ahead and get to the video touchdown paper unbreaded <laughs> what yeah this guy okay Touchdown. On paper? On breaded. Right. Right. Yeah. Touchdown. On paper? On breaded. What the fuck? Hold on. These people are teaching college students. On breaded. Right. (laughs) Touchdown. Paper? I never give a shit. It was never the bees touchdown paper on bread. Die! <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I am so baffled right now. So UCLA closed down their campuses because he, he sent he posted a little thing on their message board that was eight hundred pages long. Um and it's it's the it's the greatest book ever written. But does he have a does he have a brain tumor or uh not no no uh, nothing so far? He's By the got, way, you can't uh, find these videos anymore. Here. We, we won't play them all, but um yeah. So we've got what is that uh, on Spotify. Is he going to take them off? <laughs> <laughs> you said he was a professor. Yep. Wow. Um, he was a lecturer. I'm so touchdown. I don't know if he actually had like the title professor or not, but he 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 did teach people. Oh my so uh, he's got yeah, such he bangers as "Death is your only hope," Caucasoid. Okay. Uh, <laughs> oh. No woman prefers white men. Uh, the world in my bed. I got a huge dick. Uh, wow. That one was that was less impressive right. than you might think. Um, no woman loves Caucasoid man cracker. He don't deserve life. The cracker is a mistake. <laughs> and uh, dot dot dot. That's well, a long time. Oh, mystery. This is- this is why we didn't hear a ton about it nationally. You know, it it was like a thing that Mars Farsas Chicken Bake. If it had been the other way around, I feel like it would have stuck around a little longer. Yeah, I'm Some telling you, this the is most the ever. Part. Caucasoid genocide is overdue. Oh well, no! I, you know, frankly, I agree. That's uh, let's see. You are self-destructive <laughs> by being alive, cracker. I agree. Extinction with that. is your only solution, Caucasoid. Uh, how well, to overstand th- all things? You don't want to understand things. You want to overstand them. This is a very enlightening. <laughs> Part of this. Rikita Law is so uh, funny. Stop making me fix follow. your garbage caucasoid species, you whiny al- alcoholic plagiarist. Wow. <laughs> wow. That was 12 minutes. Damn. Yeah. It's like a pink uh, this one, song. this one is adequately tied. <laughs> Just bike. Rhymes with rhymes with bike. 
Oh, yeah. K-I-K-E. Wow. I believe uh, I believe Whoopi Goldberg liked that video. Yeah. <laughs> but there are things that hate speech doesn't exist. Or how about why I love right. Hitler and why he's my inspiration? Why I am a pedophile for blonde women. Um, yeah. <laughs> wow, he's trying this to hit one, everything. This one needs a little bit of explanation. I can help out. Thank God. I'm an expert now on this guy uh, so far. Um, Blonde women don't exist as adults. Blonde is a characteristic hair color of children. Therefore, if you are attracted to blonde women, you are a pedophile. You pedophile. That's logic and philosophy Um, wrapped into one. It's like yeah, you're, so you're never is, gonna find somebody that you know holds all your values or agrees with you on everything, but I'm sure there's a couple of those videos we can find some value. And hate speech doesn't exist. I agree with that one. Yeah, I haven't found anything of his <laughs> I don't agree with. Uh, agree with like like uh, chapter twenty nine, number six. All Asians are named rice cake and COVID egg roll. <laughs> See. <laughs> <laughs> I guess I need can, to change can my anyone name now. Disagree with that? I've I've been <laughs> calling X-ray girl that for like six months, but she refuses to respond. So, careful, <laughs> wow. uh, Martin Luther King just wanted white pussy, but was an F slur too scared to admit it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Malcolm X was an an N word. I could actually and his, and his message aged much better. He wasn't scared to be himself. Little Nas X is a direct shot of disrespect at Malcolm's name. Must be a shout out to the bikes that he's not loyal to us N words. I'm supposed to change N words to bingers. That's what I'm supposed to say. I'm, say <laughs> I'm really worried that I might slip up if I say binger. <laughs> Violent demonstrations work. How the fuck did bingers forget that? See? Wow. Very, very important. Do we have any of his uh, speeches at UCLA? I don't have any of his speeches. Um, A a UCLA guy did uh, email me and said that this guy taught for one year. He gave everybody a C except for hot chicks that he gave A's. Uh, It was so bad (laughs) that the university went in and gave everyone who took his class an A. They redid the grades for everybody. I love this guy. He went in and changed them back, though. (laughs) And uh, he sent homemade pornography to at least one student, if not more. Wow. How do they not in the vetting? Pro- I, well, I, I'm assuming they didn't vet at this point. But I mean, how does that get by at all? Well, like, would you like to teach here? Touchdown. Qu- quarter black, would you like to explain <laughs> how this man got hired there? It's called affirmative action. Uh, you don't look into the past or qualifications of anybody. You just hire them. That's racist. <laughs> we need to make the numbers work. Somebody make the numbers work. Okay, exactly. we got this guy. You check the right box. Boom. They got squinty uh, eyes. Don't let them in. They got chapters. <laughs> They're chapter 32. Here monkey blood. The return of AIDS. Monkey wide white. Wow. Wide. Oh man, as funny as that is, like, why? Why? I should read. We should read some of this ourselves, right? Like, I got to have the manifesto right here, right? Oh, here it is, Doctor Matthew C. Harris. By the way, he never got to finish that doctor thing. But I will not say the N-word, okay? I will not say the N-word. I'm just going to say N-word. <laughs> but this is called Death Sentences by Dr. Matthew C. Harris. <laughs> Terrorist N-words, activate, book one. Follow the tree, my territory, book two. Book three, catastrophic, rise of my martyrs. Book four, worldwide extinction of all species. <laughs> Book five, Only Man Alive is Matthew C. Harris. Oh, wow. Book six, World Ending Corpse Apocalypse. Book seven, Civil Conquest, Kill Everything. Infinite, Effortless, Fun Reality Tunnels. Book eight. (laughs) Book nine, The Prophecy of Matthew C. Harris. To be honest, this sounds... This sounds lit as fuck, man. This is like some like semi sci-fi shit. This reminds me of that liminal order guy that was like a part of Jack Murphy's group. Dedication. This is not for them. Do not disturb me. My ancestors were enslaved about 25 miles from here where I fled from grad school to the north to avoid racism. They fled the same path from Oxford, North Carolina to New England after slavery. Duke was the most racist hole I've ever experienced. Even within the philosophy department, I encountered racist shit. 
that should not have been tolerated in this century. The cracker advisor will let N-word starve if he notices N-word is looking at blonde bitch too closely. The ghost of Emmett Till knows what the fuck I'm talking about. With a PhD from Duke and having... No, this is a different guy, Mario. This is a different guy. He's in jail now. He got arrested in Colorado. With a PhD from Duke, having worked in philosophy departments at Princeton, Cornell, Oxford, Stanford, UCLA, N-word still got Emmett Tilled. Fuck everything about you crackers and K-I-K-E-S's. Not many people start their own branches of science in their 20s. Doesn't matter if she was 35, 29-year-old N-word ain't allowed to give a student coffee, even though all these white bitches be taking their students out for beer. Fuck you, crackers and K-words. I will not go silently. They work together as a coordinated mass horde. Nothing defeats them except war and terrorism. There are no good ones. Even the nice ones who pretend to have N-words back will drop him into the gutter if he whistles at an unworthy woman. So tell 88 to S my D. Tell 1488 to swallow my nut off the floor. <laughs> okay, let's go to a different... Uh, this is different. Here, I like this one. Debt to America. This book is dedicated to domestic terrorism and violence by N-word for victory. Death to all lessers and nations. This book is dedicated to world dominance by the N-word, U.S. slavery descendants. Genocide them and loot everything. This book is dedicated to the death of all the N-word enemies. Death to America. This I'm just going to say blank from now on. This book is dedicated to a limited wealth for my blank. Death to America. This book is dedicated to killing everyone I hate. Debt to all unworthy men, traitors, and infiltrators. This book is dedicated to rounding up the enemies in the dead of night. Debt to America. Man. Here we go. Black Lives Matter should have been a terrorist army, not a hip trend. It should have been called Blank Lives Matter. It should have been completed dedication to the genocide of all men who are not blank. Not to dribble, dribble, dribble. Not all are qualified. The only simping I need to stop is sympathizing for the cracker and the Kai or K-word and the yellow mongoloid and the Ottoman and the red mongoloid and the African. Smart and dumb don't mean what you think it means is there's only a pressure of different styles of thinking about enemies to seep to keep blank sold down, but blank ain't taking that anymore. Uh here I could do one more passage. A lot of N-words involved. K-I-K-E-S's are poisoning our culture and rap is basically ground zero for the genocide of blanks. Blank cannot be allowed to steal the blank culture. Blank rappers are defense to a blank soul that offers a glimpse as to why cultures become anti-Semitic, as if that's a bad thing. Hunt those pale Muslims. The infiltration of the blank soul. Man, I, I don't think, I feel uncomfortable reading any more of this, quite frankly. But this is like, um, yeah, we're definitely hitting some next level stuff here. So the next thing I want to do. Oh, yeah, this guy's still alive. He's in jail. They just arrested him. They just arrested Matthew Harris. KB's asking if he's still alive. I'm like, oh, yeah. But now I just want to kind of juxtapose this with uh, Ted Kaczynski, who is known as the Unabomber in some circles, right? He was a Harvard professor back in the 70s and 80s, He's a very prominent mathematician. And he kind of went nuts and went out into the middle of the woods uh, talking about the evils of technology and talking about the like dangers of leftism that he saw in America and like the divisions he saw. But I want to juxtapose what these fellows were saying compared to his direct words I found in this article. There's a few excerpts on Rushvi.com, but what I'm going to read are direct excerpts from the Unabomber Manifesto. And just, I kind of want you guys to think about this a little bit. Ask yourself some questions. Um, ask yourself if you think his prophecy is coming true. If we're just like heading towards like this collision course of ideas and um, what it means for America's future in the midst of the crisis we're in now. We're in some very dire times. Here he notes the problems with leftists. These are Ted Kaczynski's words. When someone interprets as derogatory almost anything that is said about him or about groups with whom he identifies, we conclude that he has inferiority feelings or low self-esteem. This tendency is pronounced among minority rights activists. 
whether or not they belong to the minority groups whose rights they defend. They are hypersensitive about the words they use to designate minorities about anything that is said concerning minorities. They seem almost paranoid about anything that might suggest any primitive cultures inferior to our own. Those who are most sensitive about politically incorrect terminology are not the average black ghetto dweller, Asian immigrant, abused woman, or disabled person, but a minority of activists, many of whom do not even belong to any oppressed group, but come from a privileged strata of society. Political correctness has its stronghold among university professors who have secure employment with comfortable salaries, the majority of whom are heterosexual white males from middle to upper class families. Feminists are desperately anxious to prove that women are as strong and as capable as men. Clearly, they are nagged by fear that women may not be as strong and as capable as men. Leftists tend to hate anything that has an image of being strong, good, and successful. They hate America. They hate Western civilization. They hate white males. They hate rationality. The reasons that leftists give for hating the West, etc., clearly do not correspond with the real motives. They say they hate the West because it is warlike, imperialistic, sexist, ethnocentric, and so forth. But where these same faults appear in socialist countries or in primitive cultures, the leftist finds excuses for them, or at best he grudgingly admits that they exist, whereas he enthusiastically points out and often greatly exaggerates these faults where they appear in a Western civilization. He wants society to solve everyone's problems for them satisfy everyone's needs for them, take care of them. He's not the sort of person who has an inner sense of confidence in his ability to solve his own problems and satisfy his own needs. The leftist is antagonistic to the concept of competition because deep inside, he feels like a loser. Leftists are antagonistic to genetic explanations of human abilities or behavior because such explanations tend to make some persons appear superior or inferior to others. Leftists prefer to give society the credit or blame for an individual's ability or lack of it. Thus, if a person is inferior, it is not his fault, but society's, because he has not been brought up properly. Helping black people is not the real goal. Instead, race problems serve as an excuse for them to express their own hostility and frustrated need for power. In doing so, they actually harm black people because the activist's hostile attitude toward the white majority tends to intensify race hatred. Suppose you ask leftists to make a list of all the things that are wrong with society, and then suppose you instituted every social change that they demanded. Is it safe to say that within a couple of years, the majority of leftists will find something new to complain about, some new social evil to correct, because, once again, the leftist is motivated less by distress of society's ills than by the need to satisfy his drive for power by imposing his solutions on society? Leftism is collectivist. It seeks to bind together the entire world, both nature and the human race, into a unified whole. This implies management of nature and of human life by organized society, and it requires advanced technology. You can't have a united world without rapid transportation and communication. You can't make all people love one another without sophisticated psychological techniques. You can't have a planned society without the necessary technological base. There's another excerpt down here that I want to try to find right here. Here we go. The conservatives are fools. They whine about the decay of traditional values, yet they enthusiastically support technological progress and economic growth. Apparently it never occurs to them that you can't make rapid, drastic changes in the technology and the economy of a society without causing rapid changes in all other aspects of the society as well, and that such rapid changes inevitably break down traditional values. In modern society, individuals' loyalty must be first to the system and only secondarily to a small-scale community, because if the internal loyalties of small-scale communities were stronger than loyalty to the system, such communities would pursue their own advantages at the expense of the system. The Industrial Revolution was supposed to eliminate poverty, make everybody happy, etc., the actual result has been quite different. The technophiles are hopelessly naive or self-deceiving in their understanding of social problems. They are unaware of or choose to ignore the fact that when large changes, even seemingly beneficial ones, are introduced into a society, they lead to a long sequence of other changes, 
most of which are impossible to predict. The result is disruption of the society, so it is very probable that in their attempts to end pro- poverty and disease, engineer docile, happy personalities, and so forth, the technophiles will create social systems that are terribly troubled, even more so than the present ones. Right here, I want to show you guys this Jordan Peterson video, I think really sums it all up quite well from Big Think. And then we'll end with a funny one at the end. I would like to talk briefly about depolarization on the left and the right, because I think there's a technical problem that needs to be addressed. So here's what I've been thinking about. It's been obvious to me for some time that, for some reason, the fundamental claim of postmodernism is something like an infinite number of interpretations and no canonical overarching narrative. Okay, but the problem with that is, okay, now what? No narrative, no value structure that's canonical or overarching. So what the hell are you going to do with yourself? How are you going to orient yourself in the world? Well, the postmodernists have no answer to that. So what happens is they default, without any real attempt to grapple with the cognitive dissonance, they default to this kind of, this, this loose egalitarianism, egalitarian Marxism. And it, if they were concerned with coherence, that would be a problem. But since they're not co- concerned with coherence, it doesn't seem to be a problem. But the, the force that's driving the activism is mostly the Marxism rather than the postmodernism. It's more like a, an intellectual gloss to hide the fact that a discredited economic theory is being used to what fuel an educational movement and to produce activists. So, but there's no coherence to it. But I mean, like, it's not like I'm making this up. You know, Derrida himself regarded, and Foucault as well, they were barely repentant Marxists. They were, they were part of the student revolutions in France in the 1960s. And what happened to them, essentially, and what happened to Jean-Paul Sartre, for that matter, was that by the end of the 1960s, you couldn't be conscious and thinking and pro-Marxist. There was so much evidence that had come pouring in from the former Soviet Union, or from the Soviet Union at that point, and from Maoist China, the absolutely devastating consequences of the doctrine, that it was impossible to be apologetic for it by that point in time. So the French intellectuals in particular just pulled off a sleight of hand and transformed Marxism into postmodern identity politics. And like we've seen the consequence of that. It's not good. It's a de- devolution into a kind of tribalism that's, well, that's going to, th- that will that will tear us apart on the right and on the left and on the right. Like I in my in my house, I have a very large collection of socialist realist paintings from the former Soviet Union, propaganda pieces, but also kind of of, of harsh impressionist pieces of working class people and so forth. And I collected them for a variety of reasons. Now, you could debate about the propriety of that, given the murderousness of those regimes. And fair enough, I have my reasons. But I don't have paintings from the Nazi era era in my house. And I wouldn't. And that's been a puzzlement to me because I regard the communist, the totalitarian communist regimes as just as murderous as the Nazi regimes. But there's an evil associated with the Nazi regime that seems more palpable in some sense. So I've been thinking about that for a long time. And and then I've been thinking about a, a corollary to that, uh, which is part of the problem with our current political debate. So um, on the right, I think we've identified markers for people who've gone too far in their ideological presuppositions. And it looks to me like the marker we've identified is racial superiority. And I think we've known that probably since the end of World War II, but we saw a pretty good example of it in the 1960s with William Buckley. Because Buckley, when he put out his, his conservative magazine, um, the David Duke type types kind of attached themselves to it. And he said, no, here's the boundary. You guys are on the wrong side of the boundary. I'm not with you. And Ben Shapiro recently did this for 
I think example, this is a very profound point right here. Conservatives have a so habit the, of so censoring their radicals where the left kind of lets it go spectrum, too long. We've figured out how to box in the radicals and say, no, you're outside the domain of acceptable opinion. Now, here's the issue. We know that things can go far too far on the right. And we know that things can go too far on the left but we don't know what the markers are for going too far on the left. And I would say that it's ethically incumbent on those who are liberal or left-leaning to identify the markers of pathological um, extremism on the left and to distinguish themselves from the people who hold those pathological viewpoints. And I don't see that that's being done. And I, I think that's a that's a colossal ethical failure, and it, it may doom the liberal left project. Like the lefties have their point. They're, they're driven fundamentally by a horror of inequality and the catastrophes that inequality produces. And fair enough, because inequality is a massive social force and it does produce, it can produce catastrophic consequences. So to be concerned about that politically is reasonable. But we do know that that concern can go too far. Okay, so I've suggested that there's a triumvirate of concepts that bear the same, that, what would you say, have the same potentially catastrophic outcomes when implemented as the racial superiority doctrines. Diversity, inclusivity, and equity as a triumvirate. Even though you can have an intelligent So the death knell of any good organization, ask me. Of the three, equity. I work for one of those. Is the most unacceptable, the doctrine of equality of outcome. And it seems to me that that's where people who are thoughtful on the left should draw the line, say, no, quality of opportunity, not only fair enough, but laudable. But equality of outcome, it's like, no, you've, you've crossed the line. We're not going there with you. Now, maybe that's wrong. Maybe it's not equity. That's my candidate for it. But it is definitely the case that you can go too far on the left and it's definitely the case that we don't know where to draw the line. And that's a big problem. Well, an example of equality of outcome is attempts being made now to, to implement the legislative necessity to eliminate the gender pay gap. That's a good example. I mean, you think, well, no, that's not like there's nothing pathological about that. It's like, oh, yes, there is. You have to set up a bureaucratic inquisition to ensure that that's the case. It's like it's not good. And that's actually a relatively, like, of all the things that you could push for with regards to equality of outcome, that's ra rather simple and definable. It's not even murky. Once it starts to get murky, it's just complex beyond any rectification. You cannot win if you play identity politics. There's a bunch of reasons. Like, here's one. Let's push for equality of outcome. All right? Who measures it? That's a big problem. It's not a little problem. It's not like we'll figure that out later. Oh, no, no, no. The measurement problem is paramount. So you don't solve that. You don't solve the problem at all. Who, who measures it? A bureaucracy. Okay, which bureaucracy? Well, a large one that has its fingers everywhere. Okay, that's problem number one. And it's staffed by exactly the sort of people that you don't want to staff it, by the way. Next problem. Which identities? That's the intersectional problem, right? This the, is from three years ago, by the way. Hit the problem of intersectionality. It's like, well, we've got race Pre -COVID. and gender. Pre-COVID. Let's say. Well, okay, what about the intersection between race and gender? That's a multiplicative. He's one of the biggest right? influences So you in might my start with today. three racial categories and two gender categories, but you end up with six intersectional categories, and then you're just getting started. How many genders? Hypothetically, there's an infinite number. What about racial groupings? You're going to include ethnicity? You want to add class to that? You want to add socioeconomic class? How about attractiveness? And every time you add another category to the, to the singular entities, you increase the multiplicative ent entities in a multiplicative fashion. What are you going to do? You're going to equate across all those categories? Really? And, and, and across what dimensions? What are the dimensions of equality that you want to establish? It's just socioeconomic. Is it just salary? What about all the other ways that people are unequal? You're going to just stop with economic inequality, are you? It's like, it's a complete bloody catastrophe. It's an absolute mess. And intersectionality, the, the discovery of intersectionality on the left is actually the radical left's discovery of the fundamental flaw in their identity politics <laughs> ideology. It's true.
Groups can be multiplied without limit. Okay, that's not a problem. That's a fatal flaw. And they've already discovered it. They just haven't figured it out. The reason that the West privileges the individual is because we figured out 2,000 years ago, 3,000 years ago, that you can fractionate group identity appropriately right down to the level of the individual. Some wise words there. And I'm, this is kind of the, the kind of what I think Jesse Lee Peterson was saying earlier today is too. It's like, we're overcomplicating this thing. Like it's a little bit of a battle between good and evil right now. There's been a lot of racial politics injected into the conversation on behalf of like state actors, governments. If you want to go deep on it, the cabal, the elites and all that stuff. But um, we're going to kind of end it with a little bit of a lighter note tonight. I don't know if you guys are big fans of Flight of the Concords, but um, they're a really fucking hilarious show on HBO. You should go back and watch all their episodes. But everything that we're seeing today, they predicted in an episode in 2007 where there's a race war between a couple of New Zealand immigrants and an Indian fruit stand vendor. And it's just like so on point. It's such a predictor of our clown world. And it's funny how pop culture kind of predicts this kind of stuff, right? So I want to share this video with you guys and comment at the end, and then we'll end the podcast and the show. Like I said, you really got to check out Flight of the Concords. It's fucking great. Here you go. Thanks. Thanks, please. Can I grab one of the apples, please? Uh, you, sir. And, and a banana. I think he was first. No, you were first. What do you have, sir? Uh, two apples. All right. Don't forget to give me my uh, banana. Thanks. Excuse me, sir. I'll just um, get one of the apples, please. And a banana. A banana. Excuse me. Excuse me. Excuse me. Look, guys, I don't want any trouble here, all right? I'm sorry? Where are you from? New Zealand. Yeah, that's what I thought. Why don't you get lost? I don't serve your kind here. Um, I'd just like to buy an apple, please. And, and a banana break. That one. Thanks. <laughs> that apple isn't for sale. Neela? Can you go boil us and disinfectant? <laughs> I don't want our customers complaining that our fruit tastes like New Zealanders. Okay, well, thank you very much. Yeah, thanks, guys. So he wouldn't serve us basically just because we're from New Zealand. Is that the norm? Well, you guys are in America now, and there's a lot of prejudice here, especially towards people like you. What do you mean, people like us? You know, the, the English and whatnot. Redcoats, the oppressors. <laughs> not English. Be that as it may, Jermaine, you're pretty much the most disliked race in this whole country. What, what about black people? They don't like you either. <laughs> the Chinese, the Asians, Polish, Russian, Croatians, even the Indians. Yeah, but Dave, you're Indian. You hate us. Yeah. Sometimes. But you're our best friend. I know. So this is the, yeah, really funny stuff. They're jokingly talking about a race war here, but I think that we're going to have to see. I think we got to think there's some fishiness to the mandates being lifted now, right? COVID's going to end. The war in Ukraine is probably not going to happen. Midterm elections are going to come up. You're going to see some weird radicalism shit happen right now. Last year, I predicted with the Twisted Tea incident that we would see some protests and some real chaos last year with that. I think I nailed that spot on. All my longtime viewers know I call that shit. But we're going to see the same thing. These summers are going to get weird. I am going to expect to see some more um, really obvious unjustified police shootings. There's going to be some more mass shootings. And like I thought it would happen last year, but I kind of talked about how they would try to introduce minority mass shooters into the mainstream media. And I think this is what you're seeing right now. 
you're going to hear these stories pop up, these radicalized professors and all that before something really, really happens. And then that's going to be a big moment. Um, they're probably going to break that out right in September, October, end of September. That's usually the most powerful time of the year for the elites. But I think there's going to be some real fishy shit happening. And unfortunately, it's going to get dark, but people got to get woke to this. They got to realize what's happening. This division's for a reason. There's chaos merchants on our government. Um, they they make money off of this shit, right? Now the medical crisis is going to end. They're going to try to institute something else to give them further clampdown or lockdown in some other kind of fashion. But those are my dire predictions for this year. Hopefully it doesn't happen, but I want you guys to let me know what you think in the comments. Please subscribe to the show on Spotify, America Unhinged Podcast. You can also check it out on Deezer, podcastindex.org, as well as my YouTube channels, Cosmic Radio, Mass Formation Gnosis Radio. And you can also follow me at FreeJerry88 on Twitter. But thank you so much and have a great night.